Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. So if you're new to the church, as Chuck was saying, my name is Jay Harris. Um, um, I'm going to jump into the sermon really quick. I think I have a lot here for us to cover. Um, we've been in a series called Ride or Die, so we've been working our way through Philippians. I'm actually coming up to the very end of it, but there's so much in this text that we are probably going to do another week next week in this series. But I'm going to bring it up to the last chapter in chapter 4 where uh, Matt Jensen started last week. Matt is preaching three sermons today over at Journey Church and, uh, and whatnot. So, and he, he, he's, so they, he has to hit 30 minutes or whatever. So he hit me up like, yo, let's see who can do the fastest sermon. Like he wanted to make a little bet. So no matter how long I preach, I need y'all to tell uh, Matt that I hit, um, you know what I'm saying, 22 minutes. 22, 23 area or whatever, right? So flood his textbook with that, okay? All right, so let's jump into this. All right, so we're starting off in Philippians 4. Um, If you have your Bibles, you can turn me or hit it on your phones. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Let me read this to you. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ, in Christ Jesus. So we touched on this text right here in Philippians 4 last week. Um, Paul is sitting in a jail cell, and he's writing to the Philippians, and he's encouraging them. And he starts off the text with rejoicing the Lord always, and he's pretty much just encouraging them. He's telling them, uh, you know, guard your hearts, um, your minds at Christ. He's telling them a whole bunch of amazing stuff. But he goes from saying rejoicing the Lord always to we're going to jump to, to, to verse 10. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. So he's now going to take this encouragement that he gave them, and he's going to pull it into this personal experience that he's having, right? So... Let's check out what Paul is saying to the, to the Philippians. All right, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have re- revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. I'm going to stop right there in the middle of, of verse 11, right? So Paul, being Paul, is preoccupied with other people's well-being, Right? as he always is. He's always taking every opportunity he can to encourage, to point somebody to Christ, to, to, to make examples out of grace. So he's, you would think that he's sitting in a jail cell and his first thing is going to be like, yo, homie, I'm over here starving, yo. Like, there's rats in this jail cell and you sent me this gift, you sent me some money, now I got a little money on my books, I can go get a couple snacks, whatever, in the commissary. You would think that's where he's going to go with this conversation. But Paul is like, He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. And he's making the point to let them know, like, this is not about resources. I'm about to take this conversation somewhere else, right? So let me just go ahead with 11, right? And then also the context of this right here is that the church has been faithful to give to Paul. Like, they've given to him over the years on several occasions, but it's been a a gap of a couple years. And so he's saying, like, you know, man, I rejoice when I got your gift. You know what I'm saying? It's been a minute or whatever. You revive your concern for me. But he says, actually, you really didn't even have an opportunity to give to me. So that's the basis of the, what he's saying in that statement. Then he goes on to, in verse 11. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
when I got to this part right here, I had to stop right here and really just digest this for a minute because I don't know about you, but life has so many curveballs, it has so many hills and valleys that it just can crush you. And some of us are probably here right now in our life. We may be in a marriage that we just don't see how to get past the, the, the hill in front of us. It could be financial situations leaning on us. It could be the fact that we actually have an abundance, but it's crushing us because our flesh is consuming us. Maybe we're partying too hard and we don't know how to pump the brakes and slow down a little bit. Whatever the case may be, you know, for me, when I read this too, I personally identify with this because I used to be a stone-cold alcoholic. And the reason I used to be an alcoholic is because I hated to look at life. Like, I hated to look at, to go to work every day at a job I hated and deal with the misery of working through that to come home. And so I drowned myself in a bottle every single day. And as soon as I started feeling just even a little bit that pain, you got to pour me a glass because I don't want to look it in the face. But so we're sitting here and now Paul is saying, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I'm like, home, you got to spill the beans. We got to know what it is because I need to know this, right? All right? My wife left me with one of the babies last night. I think I changed 40 pampers while she was gone. I got to know the secret, brother. How do I maintain doing these hills and these valleys and these pampers? I got to know. All right? So the secret is found in verse 11. It says, it's to be content. And I'm going to just go back there. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. We know this is the secret that he's pointing to because he continues on and he, and, he, and he starts, after he tells you the answer, he goes into describing the circumstances in a little bit more detail. He says, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. So he hits the far ends of the spectrum. So wherever you find yourself in, at both sides of it or in the middle, wherever you're at, he's like, I got a secret for you, right? This is important for us. This is important for us corporately. It's important for us in the, you know, individually. It, it, it's, it's vital. It's vital. It's, it's, it's vital. Because I don't care who you are. Everything has a, um, life just doesn't go the way we want it to go. And for me, it, this, being discontent just fueled my anger in life. Because I thought I could beat everything into place. I thought I could make it work the way I wanted to work out. I thought I could intimidate it into making it work out the way I wanted to work out. But it never works out. So it just fuels the sickness of anger, depression, whatever it may be. Um, and so that's what Paul is pointing to here, right? Let me tell you what Paul is saying. Paul is content in the Lord, which is why he rejoiced. He rejoiced in the Lord in verse 10, right? And then he says he's the supplier of his needs, which gives him the peace of God, which he said in verse 7, which surpasses the understanding of someone being joyful while in prison with the threat of death ho hovering over them 25 hours a day. I wanted to make that statement to you because when we talk about the idea of being content, we're usually talking about um, the idea that we're being supplied with something, right? So if somebody's giving you something or whatever, and they're like, yo, you know what I'm saying? I got some cheeseburgers for you. You may hit up four of them, and then you're like, homie, I'm cool. I'm content, man. I've had enough of them, right? Sorry. Going to M-Shack after we leave here. But anyway. All right. So it deals with the idea of contentment. So when Paul is talking, 
and he's talking about this idea of contentment, it's very clear he is not talking about his actual surroundings because it makes no sense to any of our minds that you're sitting in a jail cell being led around by a Roman prison guard and you're content. What kind of crazy, that doesn't make sense at all. So this contentment, he's content in something. There's supply coming from something that is registering as contentment. And for him, it's Christ, right? It's Christ. Let me tell you what Spurgeon says, right? Spurgeon says, now contentment is one of the flowers of heaven. And if we would have it, it must be cultivated. It will not grow in us by nature. It is the new nature alone that can produce it. And even then, we must be specially careful and watchful that we maintain and cultivate the grace which God has sown in it, right? This is important, right? He uses the word cultivate. Paul uses the particular phrase. He says, I know how. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. So it implies the idea that there is actually something, there is some cultivating going on. It's about this idea of stewardship, right? Because one of the things here is that it takes just as much stewardship with lack as it does with abundance. A lot of times we don't believe that at all. Because when you're on the side of lack, all your mind can think about is getting to abundance, right? And everybody hasn't experienced this type of situation, but if you've ever been in a place of abundance, then you're aware of this, right? Because I've met a lot of rich people and sat with a lot of rich people, and they're just as depressed and just as out of their mind as everybody else, all right? So it's a real, real thing or whatever. It's a real thing. I didn't always believe this in my life. I really didn't. I thought the whole, my whole goal was in life was to hustle, hustle, get it, get it, get it. And then when I got comfortable, I was just as miserable as I was when I didn't have anything. You get what I'm saying? So there's a trick to, to Paul is talking about this idea of contentment. It has to be worked because this is nothing to be taken lightly because you'll end up shipwrecked no matter where you land on it if you do not work in the idea of contentment. If you're not letting the Holy Spirit work this idea in, the heart, in your heart, if you're not looking to cultivate it, right? So it's just as much of a threat in abundance. I want to show you it in uh, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. And I'm going to be reading for the King James Version just for this right here. And it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therefore with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in the destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows, right? You go from rags to riches, you may find out God was just a magic genie to you and not your Lord and Savior. Now, now that you can occupy your time with traveling the world and shopping till you drop. Does that make sense? Y'all understand where I'm going with that? That's, that's, your, that's your threat. So that's in the word. That's your threat of... of financial abundance when you're not working contentment. Now, when we flip to the other side and we look at the idea of lack, now you're dealing with the idea of murmuring and complaining, right? You're dealing with the idea of second-guessing God all the time because if you don't know how to be content in a situation, then you can't recognize God working through it and how he's sovereign in all situations. When your back is against the wall or when you're standing tall, he's sovereign in the middle of it. But if you don't understand the idea of contentment, how can you see clearly? Everything is polluted in your vision, right? 
And that is the perfect time for the devil come knocking at your door. Right? I get these emails all the time from people who are like, man, stuff is just looking messy and it's not adding up. And the way that they think that they're going to resolve that is completely run away from God. Or they're like, yo, I'm sick of being like this right here. I'm sick of feeling like the footstool. I'm going to go out here and I'm going to go hustle and I'm going to go do what I think I know how to do. Right? So there's... There's poison in the idea of in, in lack, you know, without the understanding of contentment. The enemy is looking, to, he'll yank your core whichever way he needs to go, right? The Philippians stored their lack. The way they did it was they gave. That's what this letter is about. Paul is hitting them up because he's like, you know, we went through a lot of the text before. Like, they didn't have a lot at all. They were, the, the scriptures talk about them being a poor church. And it talks about how, man, they've been faithful to Paul. I mean, they've helped plan other churches. When he was working, I believe, in Macedonia, or, and he, they were actually supporting him so the work could be done. Um, so they were shareholders with Paul. You know, I, na- I named this sermon that because I like how Paul is actually, he's separating this idea of just, you know, celebrating the fact that they give, but he's actually going more into this thing of like, you know, you, you really didn't have to give because I'm not over here needy. Like, it doesn't mean he doesn't have needs, but he's like, I know God supplies all my needs. So, so I didn't come to you with a I'm starving mentality, make my pain go away. But he's like, but you chose to be a shareholder in what I'm going through, right? He's going to go deeper into this a little bit, right? And so verse 13 goes like this right here. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How many have heard that before? Right? Like, we've abused that on Hallmark cards so bad. Most people probably, this is the first time you've ever seen it in context with the scripture it's actually related to. Right? So we hear it all the time, but we usually mean like, Lord, I'm going to this car lot, and I can get this benzo through you who strengthens me. You're faithful, Lord. I know you're faithful. You know what it is, Lord. Hit, hit, you know the credit score is looking rough, but you are faithful, you know? Like, we use this as like, you know what I'm saying? Like, man, we got three wishes right here. We, about to, we throw that verse out. We think it's going make it, to make it happen, right? But the fact of the matter is, it's linked directly to these situations he's referring to, right? Facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. So this is actually driving home the idea of contentment. And earlier I was just saying, I said this contentment is anchored in Christ Jesus, right? When he tells you he has a secret, he says contentment. But if we're going to further that statement, it's in Christ Jesus. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens, strengthens me. So he is talking about, it's funny because he is actually talking about the idea of abundance like it's some type of peril almost. You know what I'm saying? Like a real danger. Like it's not like, come on, you know how it goes, man. You get a little bit of money in the paycheck, you get cute real quick. You know what I'm saying? Like it just is what it is. We, we're messed up like that, you know? But he is literally like talking about lack. He understands the perils of that. This is, this is maturity right here. And, and, and we all got to lean into this. And we all have to take it on ourselves to be responsible with this too. It confronts all of us. Like, what do we do with what we have? What is, our, what is our position in it? How do we, what is our character in the way we steward abundance and lack? How do we, how do we deal with it? Do we really believe that there's a threat 
to abundance, that it can consume us? Because Paul believes it. He believes it, right? And the thing about this is that Paul is not saying this from his, his, his ivory couch at the crib. He's in a jail cell having this conversation, right? Let me, let me just run through real quick some of Paul's, uh, his, his woes in life, right? Paul's been beaten, it says, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from, from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among the false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And he's been bitten by a snake. When somebody tells you you've, they've been through something like that, if you don't know anything about that, the first thing you, you're probably going to think in your mind is, how in the world can you keep from committing suicide? If this is what life has dealt you, I, I think that's a reasonable question. Like, how, how have you not jumped off a ledge? Like, if this is what life is serving you up. Like, how can you, how can you not go swan dive off a cliff? So Paul is not talking from a cheap place. He's talking like, he, he, he's probably talking from the place of a guy who, yeah, those thoughts are actually very real. And because this is the hand that I'm dealt, there has to be a secret. So he's pursued this secret, and now he rests in it and has confidence in it. This idea of being content and being anchored in Christ Jesus. You feel me? And he's been on both sides of it because Paul came from a very elite um, a, a elite crowd, right? So he knows what it's like to get the money. He knows what it's like to get no money, right? He knows what it's like to be abandoned by brothers. He knows what it's like to get stuck up and robbed. He knows five times, 39 lashes? Oh, my Lord. Makes me tremble. All right. Verse 14. He says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Let me just, I went through a couple different texts so we can get the idea of what he's actually saying there, right? So let's just, let's, let's just back up real quick. So he just went through this idea of contentment. So Paul is being extremely careful that as he is talking to them, he goes into this rant about, I am not a, I, I'm not needy, right? And then he goes to explain to them why. So he's taking the opportunity to teach them. But he's clearing all of those thoughts out of the way to get to a point. So like, let's get all of this, me being needy and everything else out of the way or whatever. Like, that's not how I roll. You know that. And I want to, and I, and I want to actually exemplify my position and my demeanor towards that. So y'all can learn from that. That's what he's saying. Right. And then he's going to hit us with the yet. He goes yet after he's made that point. Right. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And this is what the other translations used to say that it says, yet it was kind for you to care for me in my need to share my distress, taking part in my affliction, help me in my troubles, fellowship with my affliction. 
right? So it's like he moves the need out of the way, and then he goes on to tell them and, 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 and to esteem them, right, and to encourage them in the idea of, yo, you made a decision to do this. Like, you didn't have to because there's several other churches he listed, and he says, they didn't do that, right? They didn't do that, but you put it on yourself to partner in my affliction, right? And then he says this thing right here where he says, no church entered in, into partnership with me in giving and receiving. You know, I love how he talks about this because, like, you know, sometimes when you talk about giving or anything like this, you're so scared to kind of touch on it because people manipulate people so bad. We've all had it done, right? We've all had it done. People manipulate people so bad, so you're scared to say it for what it is. You're scared to say it like you believe in the word, like, hey, I want you to give because I believe it actually produces a spiritual fruit in it, and, you, and I think it's good for you. But it's hard to say that sometimes because people are so much like, yeah, okay, cute. We know how you church people roll. And the fact of the matter is I know how they roll too. I know how they roll too, but I still got to stand on the word of God and speak his truth, right? And I got to stand before him and be accountable for what I do, do with it, right? So Paul is making this point. He's making this point, but he, he says giving and receiving. It's almost like he's talking in Bible, in, in, uh, in, in banking terms. He says partnership. He says giving. He says receiving, Right? But the idea, he's actually not even talking about himself receiving, right? He's not even talking about himself receiving. He isn't talking about you give to me and you have access to my spiritual gifts. So he's not talking about himself as a product. He is pointing to the fact, and we're going to see this as we go forward, he is leaning into this idea that this is registering in eternity, right? This is registering in eternity whenever you give and decide to give. That's where we're going with this, right? So in verse 17, he says this, not that I seek the gift. Once again, it's clear in the air. This conversation is not about that. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Right? This is what Paul is telling them. Paul is not looking for the material benefit. He's seeking their spiritual benefit, right? He says a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul is pointing to the idea that their feet, excuse me, that their gift falls at the feet of God and has an eternal weight on it. Like as you give, this actually registers in heaven. So many times when we give and we place something in front of somebody, we don't see it as placing it at their feet. Excuse me, we see it at placing it at their feet. And then we look at them for the accountability afterwards, right? You know, this, this, the other day or whatever, and I'm just going to be honest with you. This is how messed up we are. This is how messed up I am, right? The other day I was out in front of the building, and it was like raining like crazy. It was raining, it was storming, there was lightning and everything else. And I'm sitting in my truck, and I see this old lady coming, and she has five bags, and she has a book bag, right? And she's coming by my car, and it's like it's raining so hard that I actually was working on my sermon inside of the truck because I couldn't get in the building because it was raining that hard. And she is walking, and she is so, so, so drenched, right? And I look and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this lady's walking up the street right now, right? She's an elderly lady. She looks just like my, my grandmother, right? And, 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 and 
I said, man, I, I have to give this lady a ride. Can I be honest with you? First thing I thought about was my new truck. Straight up and down. I'm not foul. I'm not messed up. I need Jesus that bad. First thing I thought about, my new truck and my nice little clean leather seat over there and all of that stuff. And I was like, crap, okay. Then I started, you know, then I got, you know, responsible. Yeah, you know, your wife has to get in the car. Seat will be wet and everything. And she'll be mad. And then, you know, all of this stupid stuff or whatever, right? Like, I can take this truck with me to heaven. This truck can't go with me. This truck is the you for his glory, right? It's for my kids. I just needed a truck and he gave me one, right? So I turn around and I go get her. I go get her and I stop and she's talking to me and she's like, I swear it's raining so hard it's almost like she's drowning while she's talking. And like, you know, she's like, I don't, I mean, it's like pouring buckets. And I tell her to come, she comes, jumps in the truck or whatever, she throws all her stuff in the back and she jumps or whatever and uh, and uh, and uh, and, and she jumps in the car or whatever and stuff, and then we ride or whatever. I forgot her name, man, but she was such a sweetheart. And, you know, sounds awesome. But the fact of the matter is, man, I thank God for his spirit for having me do that because I needed it. But it wasn't because I was good. Like, I, had, I was repenting even as I left her, you know, for the fact that I'm even contending in my heart. You know what I'm saying? That, that my heart isn't even pure enough for it to just be a, just a pure gift and stain on its own. There's still that part of me, me, me inside of me, right? But it's all right because we went through with it. That's how you bust me, me, me in the head sometimes. You just have to do what God is pushing you to do. It's not that you're always there, but you know that God is there and you're pursuing him and you're having to lean into it, right? So he says, sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. This gift we give, it's not... It, 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 I may, it, the act may be happening to her, but it's registering in heaven, right? It's registering in heaven. That's what Paul is telling them. It, it's, it's pouring into an eternal thing, right? Um, and it's important, in this big conversation we're having right now, it's important that we understand the idea of how eternity works into this conversation. Because when we're talking about contentment, when we're talking about giving of yourself and sacrificing for other people, why would you do that? If you don't believe that there's an eternal something coming after us. If, if this is all we have till we hit the grave, I'm on straight YOLO mode. I don't know what y'all are doing. I'm doing you only live once. I'm hitting South Beach and I'm partying. Because why? There's nothing else. But Paul is rooted in this idea that there is an eternity. So he's like, I'll die today because I'm going to live forever. Right? That's, that's the idea why he's like, I can sit inside of this Roman prison with death hovering over me. And be content in Christ because I know he's already won this whole thing. And right now, whatever's going on, whether it's in the jail or whether it's in the mansion, I'm actually being used for his glory. So I can sit content in all of this stuff, right? I can give up my preferences. I can actually give up what I have. I can give out of my abundance. I can give out of my need because he has it all, right? That's what is going on. That is the eternal perspective that plays a part in this idea of contentment. It doesn't work without it. Besides that, it's, it's, it's a lunatic mindset, in my opinion, right? So in Romans 8:18, Paul says, the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Second Corinthians chapter 4 says, momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. You see that? Light, momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. So when we share in people's trouble, it's producing something for us. 
that has an eternal weight that's beyond our comprehension or any comparison, right? That's the Paul point is making there, right? So we, Image Church is supported by other churches, right? And so there's a church called Spanish River down south. Spanish River has supported us since the beginning. Spanish River supports 72 ministries, and 27% of their budget goes to church planning and missions, right? Man, we're on, the, we're on the receiving end, right? We're on the receiving end of that. A whole bunch of churches. That's what they're doing right now, but their track record over the years gets even crazier. And, and when I think about it, I'm like, what in the world is going on with these people that they're leaning to this idea of actually seeing the gospel go forward to that level. It's absolutely crazy. It's it's what is in this scripture, right? They're actually sharing in somebody else's lack to see the gospel go forward. I want us to be that type of church. I want us to be that type of church. I'm not preaching to get the money out of your pocket. I'm preaching because I think it it has spiritual, I think it has eternal benefits, right? Eternal benefits. And it's not all about money. It's about whoever comes and makes the coffee every morning too. That means a whole lot. Whoever cleans the bathrooms, it means a whole lot. Nick Virchow pops up. Nobody asks him. He cuts the grass. He sacrifices, right? He knows it's a lot for us to maintain and do. He sees when there's like, I know your pain. I know your distress. I know it gets hard sometimes. And he willingly shows up. And he sacrifices that way, right? I'm going to start closing with this right here. So I got a call yesterday from one of my friends. And um, just to give you a quick backstory on it, it's one of my buddies or whatever that I actually probably met two years ago at my store. And when I met this guy, he, um, man, he was just in a really, really, really bad place in life. He just used to walk by all the time. We sat down, we talked and everything. And, uh, and I could just tell he was super disturbed. And so one day I finally got him to come to Bible study. And it, it was funny because when he came into Bible study, he, he used to always tell me, he would say, yo, Jay, you do not know how messed up I am. Like, you don't, you don't get it. He wouldn't tell me what he was involved in, but he would say, you don't get it. Like, you don't understand. And he always had this kind of demeanor. And so... He comes to the Bible study inside of my, my store one day, and he sits down, and he goes, like, he's sitting there for a couple minutes, and he kind of jumps up. He's like, oh, this is how y'all do church? Okay, 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 all right, all right. And then he just starts laying it out. Like, I'm talking about all his mess. He was like, I'm, like this is safe. I can lay it, this, my mess on the table. And he just went there with it. And over the, um, And so what he was saying with me yesterday, you know, when I talked to him, he was he just got, he got married. He, um, he was on his way to go pick up his wife from the hospital, right? Because they just had a baby. And, uh, and so I was on the phone with him and I said, man, I said, yo, I'm just so proud of you, bro. I said, I remember where you were at before and I can't believe what God has done in this, in this time, you know? And, and, and he turned it on me and he gave me a compliment. And man, I, like, I tried to keep it gangster, but mine, just, I went to, I, I was on the phone crying. You know what I'm saying? I ain't let him hear it, but... You know what I'm saying? But I was crying or whatever. I was like holding on a little gangster squeeze. Like I was like, no. And then it was like, ah, I lost or whatever, right? But one of the things he said to me, he said, uh, he said, Jay, man, he said, you, um, you allow me to be broken in front of you. Like, he was like, you let me be a mess in front of you. You, you, you were with me for all of this time. And he just kind of spoke to, to me about what he felt like 
um, the store meant and what it meant to the city and what it meant to the community. He was like, man, there was so many times that he was like, man, there was times when I was literally rolling around with a gun. And he was like, I just said, forget life. And I was through. And he said, and I would come to your store as a last moment stop and you wouldn't even be there. But he said, just the presence in it would heal my spirit. And he was like, you know, you don't understand how many people were at wit's end and God and how God was, you know, using you and stuff, whatever. And of course, it's all glory to God because I have no idea. I have no idea what I was doing, you know. And some, I, I just knew we came to love people, but I didn't have, this is all me depending on Christ, right? But, you know, when he was speaking, what I got from it was, man, he was basically saying, like, thank you for sharing in my trouble. Like, he was like, you, you, you shared in my trouble. You knew I was broken and I was a wreck. You let me come in and, like, and now his eyes are open. So he's like, I used to say so much reckless stuff in front of you about women and different stuff or whatever. He's like, but I know you knew that I was still fighting. But, you know, I know I was offending you and I was saying stuff and you just sat there and you, like, loved me through it. And, and he said, man, you shared in my trouble, you know? I think when you believe God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, you don't care about a lady getting your seats wet. You don't care. You don't care that it's going to be expensive to embark in, in, in this journey in life with somebody because they're a mess and they're a wreck and they're in a bad place in life. You don't care because you know he's going to supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. You can actually deal with it with the idea of being content, right? It helps you balance in this thing. Faith in Christ Jesus helps you balance in this thing that we're in called life with its hills and its valleys. But when you are filthy rich, when you're filthy rich and you have a promise that you know is secure, cares about a car seat? Who cares about being a little late to a meeting to help somebody else real quick, right? This is how this plays out in all of this stuff. Jesus Christ, and I'll close with this right here, God invested in our eternity by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, right? And the question is, do we want to become shareholders in that? Like, do we believe in that to make an investment in that? Do we, do we believe enough to lean into that? Like, to give our life to that? Do we believe that the promise is safe and secure, that we can actually be anchored in this idea that it's like life or death, we were actually good to go? Can we let that make us filthy rich? Can we be shareholders and be like, yo, our stocks are like way up? I want to sing Drake right now so bad. Way up, I feel blessed. I'm sorry. I had to get it out. I'm sorry. It just fit right there. I, just, I should have put that in the sermon, right? But church, I just want to say this right here. The idea is this right here. You will never, ever, ever be content. You will never, ever, ever find contentment. I want you to hear that, and I want you to let it shipwreck you. I want, to let, let you let, I want you to let it back you into a dark, dark, dark corner. You will not be content unless you push your, put your faith in Jesus Christ. It just won't happen. It just won't happen. Life is going to beat the mess out of you. Lack is going to slap you around, and if you end up getting rich, it's going to slap you around just as hard. 
and you will find yourself shipwrecked. You will only find contentment in Christ Jesus. And, and, and the thing is this right here. We're going to party in heaven. It makes, no, it makes no sense for us to lean into anything else. We are going to party in eternity. And like my man Prince said, we're going to party like it's 1999-99. We're going to add some more numbers to that because it's going to be in eternity or whatever, right? So that's my uh, sermon for today. I, I just want to come, you come on up, Chuck. I just want to tell you, I'm going to pass this over to Chuck, but, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're not a believer and, um, and, and you're here today, like, it's super, super, super um, important to me. It's the reason why we preach, and it's the why, reason why I, 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 I do what I do. It's, it's that uh, people who don't know Christ Jesus would get to know Christ Jesus. You know, maybe you've been to church all your life, and maybe that looks like a, just a religious experience of rules and trying to be good and everything else, and you think that kind of secures you or whatever. It doesn't. Um, the Bible says we're, we're saved by grace and mercy. And the thing is right here, you will not see God until you can look in the mirror and see the ugly that's there, until it breaks you to the point where you're desperate for a Savior. That's why he died, because you're desperate. But you need to know you're desperate. You need to know you're broken, Right? You need to know you're a wretch. Whoever you're throwing a rock at in life, whatever you're judging, you think they're a piece of crap, you might as well go ahead and stand right beside them and let the rock hit you in the forehead, all right? That's where it's at, right? That is where it's at, whatever. But in, in grabbing hold of that and in, 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 in seeing ourselves clearly, we're able to see Christ and his goodness and the very reason why he died on the cross. And if the Spirit of God is moving on you in a way where you feel like he's inviting you into that, after the service, grab me. I would love to talk to you. All right? Love y'all.